Hey there, Gen GND listeners. It's your host, Sam Eilertson here. What you're about to hear is a conversation between myself and Nikayla Jefferson from this year's DC Environmental Film Festival, which just wrapped up. You may have heard Nikayla's voice on this podcast before. Well, get ready to hear a lot more of it. Nikayla is an amazing writer and communicator on the climate crisis. She's a volunteer activist with Sunrise Movement, and she's currently transitioning out of academia and into professional creative storytelling. You will definitely be hearing from her a lot in season two. In this conversation, we dig into exactly why storytelling is so important to climate activism and how the way we tell stories about climate has changed over the past few years. That's coming up right after this. Which side are you on? 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 So the first thing that I thought we could talk about is um, how each of us ended up doing climate work. Um, so I um, came to this basically out of anxiety, <laughs> um, which I think a lot of people, um, particularly young people do, um, you know, climate seemed like something that was always, um, this looming threat to, you know, the world's future to maybe my own, um, future. And I didn't, you know, through the, the, the sort of late 2000s, 2010s, like I didn't really feel like I didn't know, I, I want to do something about climate, but I didn't know how to plug in. Um, I felt like, I, I didn't see the, the, the path for there to be um, a political solution to this crisis at the scale that the problem actually exists at. Um, and I think um, two years ago, um, you know, Sunrise Movement and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, had this big moment um, in Nancy Pelosi's office where they called for a Green New Deal. And seeing that moment um, gave me hope and made me want to um, get involved and particularly to start documenting um, that movement. That was how this whole Generation Green Deal project um, came about. So, um, so yeah, how did how did you come into this, Nikayla? Yeah, I mean, that story of hope that uh, that's your story. I mean, that's my story too. Like, that is the main reason I joined the Sunrise Movement. Um, most people in the Sunrise Movement, like, they share in that. Like, for me, though, it's, like, less about hope in the climate crisis specifically, and more about a general hope to repair the damage that we've done to each other and this planet and build something beautiful that's just and habitable, uh, a haven for human flourishing. Like I've lived in California my whole life, so I'm very familiar with the drought and the wildfire and the mudslides and the climate disaster part of the crisis, but I'm also a woman and I'm black and I'm queer and the crisis, the climate crisis, is just kind of another weight on top of everything else, all the other existential crisis mm. people like me face. Um, and the solution for that is abolition, emancipation. And the Green New Deal, I don't see as emancipation or uh, abolition because it's not. But what it is, is it's a piece of the solution, long term, the first piece, to buy some more time and to loosen these chains a bit. Because people can't organize. Like, we can't build a movement if people can't eat, if they don't have a place to sleep. Like, we can't build this bridge to the next world and reach a dream of freedom if, like, we're barely scraping by in this one. So I came into this work and into the, the Sunrise Movement as a writer and a storyteller because I needed a vision to work towards. 
And I need to feel like I'm engaged in the struggle for a future. And Sunrise was my introduction to political organizing and the Green New Deal. Um, Leah Stokes was my professor uh, at the time, and uh, she, she told me about it. She was like, look into the Sunrise Movement and the Green New Deal. Like, I think you'd like it. Um, so one look was all it took for me. Uh, I was like, this is where it's at. These kids, um, they're doing something I really want to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, this is something the two of us have talked about um, before, that the climate crisis is one existential crisis. But, um, you know, communities, so many communities um, in this country, particularly community of color, are facing many overlapping existential um, existential crises. And I, I think, I mean, the goal of the Green New Deal is to be a, an overlapping intersectional solution. Um, so there's been, as we know, a lot of misinformation and, and Fox News propaganda about what the Green New Deal is and isn't. Um, so I wanted to ask you to um, give me your definition and, and vision of what the Green New Deal is. I think for me, I mean, the Green New Deal at the core, uh, jobs and justice and climate, like that's that's the heart of it. Um, I really see the Green New Deal as like, I mean, what it is, it's like this this very transformative, comprehensive uh, national policy approach to um, addressing our carbon-based economy. So the Green New Deal I see um, is more of like a blueprint to what the next phase of America could look like um, in the sense that we can have a program that gives people jobs and gives people health care. And we are on the track to a, a regenerative and sustainable economy. Um, so, yeah, the Green New Deal for me, it's 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 something that anyone can build and anyone can be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about storytelling as part of that. As, as a key piece of that activism and in, in developing that um, that vision of transforming society, um, you know, I think that um, I, I think you've talked about this and, and talked about some research on it. But like, um, you know, I think storytelling is really a really the key to the success um, to date of of Sunrise and sort of the broader youth climate movement. Of like, if, if I could point to one thing that's like a, a big advance of of this sort of new generation of activists on previous activism around climate. It's doing storytelling and doing like human centric storytelling um, much, much better. So I wanted to ask you like um, why storytelling and particularly like creative storytelling um, is so important to um, advancing advocacy on, on climate and environmental issues. Oh my gosh. I love this question. I'm like, I love history. <laughs> so uh, pause me if I start spouting off here. But um, storytelling really is at like the heart of a movement, like like any of them. Um, I think of Frederick Douglass, and in 1845 he wrote the narrative of uh, of a life of an American slave. Like he told his story in this book, and it was one of the most influential works in the fight for abolition in America. Like he recounted a story of being black in America, of being enslaved, and his testimony was so powerful it moved the hearts and it changed the minds of white Americans. And uh, 1863, uh, Abraham Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation. We get some basic rights and reconstruction in the South. Obviously, we know how that story goes, though, with uh, Jim Crow. Um, cut it pretty short. But throughout the 50s and the 60s, again, in, in America, like we get the story of being Black in America. It charged a movement, not even just here, but the decolonization movement in Africa and Asia abroad. And like now... 
we're at another movement moment in, in the climate movement. And we have to tell the stories of being black in America as a part of the climate movement. Like I'm reading a lot about the uh, socialist movement in the 30s and 40s, and it failed partly because the socialists, the white ones, um, they didn't see the story of being black in America as important to the story of economic justice. Um, they didn't know what to do about the Negro question, as they called it. And the climate movement, we can't make the same mistake. Like being black in, the, in America, it, it is the story of why we're in a time of climate crisis. It's the story of 400 years of extraction and exploitation, the story of choosing profit over people and this inevitable reckoning of injustice when an ecosystem is so unbalanced and poisoned with white supremacy and exceptionalism, it's no longer able to carry on and it breaks. And, and that's where we're at right now. So there's like the lived evidence, right, of the power of storytelling. Um, but we're also, I mean, from the academic world, like the research and the data backs it up too. Like stories are one of the most effective tools of persuasion. You share our experience in plain expression from, the, from our heart. It tugs at their heart. And that's how we pull them onto our side. And like day one of the Sunrise Movement, uh, for me, being told your most powerful tools and as an organizer is your story. And I've definitely found that to be true. You know, if I think back to a few years ago, like the kind of climate stories that I learned about as a teenager growing up, like, you know, climate storytelling, climate filmmaking, climate media was very dominated by focus on polar bears, other endangered species. Uh, you know, there was a talk of, if there was a talk of human impact, it was sort of in the far future tense, like children and grandchildren. <laughs> we heard a lot about children and grandchildren. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, the spokespeople were um, scientists and other quote experts um, who tended to be white. Um, and I think you look at climate storytelling now and there's a, been a big shift um, towards talking about direct human impacts. Um, we're talking about um, you know, the frontline and fenceline communities that have been disproportionately affected by climate change, which are also um, disproportionately communities of color. Um, and I guess as someone who's sort of transitioning from um, academia to storytelling um, professionally right now, like, um, do you want to talk about that narrative shift and like why that's so important? And I, I think certainly I think more effective in, in mobilizing people um, of all you know, race and class backgrounds into this movement. Yeah. Yeah. Polar bears and our grandkids. <laughs> yeah. That, that shift that's happened in the climate movement, I feel like it's really like paralleled in my own life. Like as a kid uh, watching Al Gore with his, his terrifying graphs um, and like, damn, like this is going to suck for my great grandkids and, and all those polar bears. Like it's going to be so hot. Like where, what are they, what are they going to eat? Where are they going to go? And then, we had, yeah, 2009, I think, Waxman Markey and uh, cap and trade, right? Like a, like a capitalist approach. And in 2009, that failed because there wasn't like a climate movement. Um, and the bill was just about reducing carbon emissions um, on a big scale without thought to like, okay, maybe we should reduce the, the toxic pollution from the communities that are breathing it first. Um it did nothing for the health of Americans. And in the middle of a recession, right, it did nothing for jobs either. Like the way we were talking about climate change, um, we were talking about in parts per million and greenhouse gases and uh, putting guilt on people for driving their cars. Like it was totally the wrong approach. Mm -hmm. um, climate is an issue of justice um, and the solution needs to come from a grassroots and diverse movement, like not think tanks and suits. 
Um, so we, we see this change start to happen. Like the climate movement starts to build and it becomes less about the future and more about now, like less about atmospheric carbon and more about human health. Um, it went from being climate change to now being like crisis and emergency. Like we got these alarm bells blasting all over the globe. The academic community has come off mute and they're like, Hey, like we need to do something. And we got kids in Europe and Asia and Africa and in North America, South America, leading these global movements saying like, you got to read these reports, like these people that they're talking about in, in, in 50 years, like that's, that's us, like migration resource conflict, like that's going to happen in our lifetimes. Uh, like that's me. So the movement is telling the story of like uh, the present moment and, and our future and the emotional language and the imagery, like it's so powerful and effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it is so much more effective. And I'm, I'm so glad that like more and more people from that academic and science world are willing to talk in sort of more stark and less careful. I think that like, I, I mean, like people have written about this. Like, I think that academic community was very traumatized by like being accused of alarmism and by the sort of way that the fossil fuel companies manipulated data and manipulated um, the things that they said and and sort of went much too far in the direction of being very careful and I think there, it's good there's been at least a bit of a shift back in that direction but but yeah I wanted to um, I mean I wanted to talk a little bit um, specifically on the issue of race in the climate movement I mean the uprisings last summer um, cause a reckoning, I think, you know, in, in so many sectors of our society, including um, in the movements, but there's still so many people, um, you know, a, a pundit who everyone on the left likes to hate, uh, accused Sunrise of being a fake climate group because they also support defunding the police. Um, but like that's sort of in, in, indicative of a broader um, tendency of, you know, mostly older white men to say that like climate needs to be put in a box and um, kept in a box. But I'm just curious, like how um, as a black woman in the climate movement, you sort of um, seen the way that these um, debates and shifts have, have happened over the past year. Oh, man. Yeah, that that shift when uh, George Floyd was murdered in June. Like that, I think that was my moment of like, whoa, like suddenly things just switched in the movement and in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like I'm behind a mask, behind a megaphone, like speaking to thousands of people. And there was like no time to think. It was just this whirlwind moment over the weekend. Um, and in Sunrise San Diego, my, my friend and I uh, um, are, we're the co-founders of the hub, Um and through June, like they looked to us because like we were the only black people in the hub. Um, like, what do we do? And then the whole movement looked to us and was like, what do we do? Because Sunrise, like it's a pretty wide organization. And like we've got experience with like the sit-ins and the climate strikes, but racial justice uprisings. Like these white kids didn't know what to do. Like it was like a moment of white paralysis for the movement. And it was hard for some people to connect the dots between what happened to George Floyd and the, the crisis of the climate. Like what we're fighting against, it's deeply rooted in white supremacy and, and exploitative economy and sacrificing the bodies and the communities of black and brown people. And if we're going to build a long-term alternative solution to a carbon-based culture, we need to come to terms with that. We need to figure out how to address this question. And the, pe and, and the police, um, they're another environmental threat, right? 
they're the violent enforcers of oppression and racial hierarchy in America. So like we need people to be free if we're going to build a, uh, a multiracial cross-class movement, like the kind of movement we need to defeat the crisis of climate change. Um, and yeah, Sunrise and, and uh, a lot of it, the, the white people in the movement, I think they really got it. Um, when they revised the organizational principles um, with language like abolition, they made the, the intersections of the crises like very clear. Um, and mm. they hosted a defund the police crash course, actually. And I think it was the most popular training um, ever in the movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, um, I wanted to wrap up by talking about one other sort of big shift, um, narrative shift, that I think the Green New Deal as a concept has really um, helped affect and, and has even trickled into, you know, things like the way people like Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and, um, you know, liberal politicians are talking about um, climate. And that is the sort of moving away from the sort of doom and gloom and sacrifice um, narrative and towards um, sort of positive storytelling about like building a sustainable, um, decarbonized society, creating a society that's actually more, more just and abundant, um, under, um, you know, a decarbonization plan. And I think, um, and, and linking climate action to creating jobs, to expanding unions. Um, so, you know, what, why do you think that shift has been um, so important? And like, how do we as storytellers grapple with this sort of duality <laughs> of like, you know, the very real, sense of like dystopia and doom um on the horizon you know the warning of that on the other hand like the potential which i think is 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 um particularly for for reaching beyond the sort of traditional activist white middle class bubble um you know i, I think that like talking about it seems like um, and then data shows like talking about positive transformational change um, is the much more effective way of reaching people. So, um, so yeah, how do we as storytellers sort of think about that duality? Oh man, what a line to walk, right? Like <laughs> it feels like we're rock walking right on the edge of the end of the world. Um, but as storytellers, like we, we have to hold the truth of the reality of like where we're at. And we also need to tell the story of the past. Like, we are as a country like where we've come from the legacy of the struggle and like where we're at right now like it's bad but for long as we've been a country like it's been bad for the people who aren't wealthy and white and cis men like it's been bad for women and non-binary people and indigenous people and immigrants and black people poor people working class like crisis and social oppression are not new and we've always survived and we will like I'm I've, I feel that I feel that fully like we will survive and focusing on the doom and the gloom like we're gonna die narrative I mean it's just not helpful at a certain point um, that point being when people feel so overwhelmed they become apathetic and they just don't see the point in engaging with a movement for hope and progress so as storytellers like leading with the vision I think in the dream of all that it can be like Sorry to go back to history here, but like taking these founding words, right? Like, oh, in the course of human events, a more perfect union, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, basic inalienable rights, like take these words and make this country hold them high until they are true for everyone. Like that's how we've survived through the years, like gaining rights to the point that I can, I can vote and I can marry and on paper I'm equal to white men. But like we still clearly, clearly have such a long way to go with that but I see it happening in the future and like that's where you got to tell the story from so 
storytellers, like I really feel like telling the story of the future from that place of hope that there is a time, like if we fight for it, that people have guaranteed healthcare and housing and jobs and a retirement plan and that the healthiest economy is actually a decarbonized one. And that this greatness we've been told of as a country, like it hasn't even happened yet. So I feel like we're coming into age, into our age as a country, like coming into our prime and like thinking like as storytellers, really sharing the vision of, wow, like what this country could be if we build a movement to make it happen. So it's balancing the very real climate anxiety and the scientific urgency, um, but not as we're running away from something, like we're running towards something. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, but important balance to walk. And I feel like, um, more and more storytellers are doing it well. And I think it's the same value we try to hold in our, um, work. I also encourage anyone who hasn't um, seen it yet to check out, um, uh, the, um, film, uh, short film, animated film, um, narrated by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the message to the future. Um, it is like a truly incredible piece of, climate storytelling that really embodies that um ability to like look into the future and show people what how beautiful the future could look like um in a situation in which we actually transform our economy and our society in a positive direction i hope you enjoyed this conversation and thanks so much to the dc environmental film festival for hosting us while this year's festival is over, a number of wonderful films are still online, and you can find them at dceff.org. We hope to be back at DCEFF in person, imagine that, next year. Quick update on the Gen D&D podcast. We are digging into producing season two, and with the end of the pandemic in sight, we are also jumping back into producing Generation Green New Deal, the documentary film. So while you won't be hearing from us on a weekly basis for the next few months, rest assured we have not gone away. We are hard at work making the film, the podcast, and some other very exciting new content. If you want to support Generation Green New Deal, please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash generationgnd. And you can follow us on social media at generationgnd. Thanks for listening. Which side are you on? Which side?